0: From the earliest times when people would sit around campfires to hear a rousing adventure story to the days of riveting radio dramas, people have let their minds create the pictures while their ears took in the words. Well, of course, we've moved on from those days. We've got film and television now, and uh, that has changed a lot of things. We've become a visual generation whose listening skills have somewhat declined. Maybe that's why families don't seem to be able to communicate so well and people often talk but seldom listen. Liz often says to me, I don't hear what she's saying. And uh, that's the truth, isn't it? That the ability to really listen is vital today as it ever was. How else are we going to hear not only each other, but the voice of God? Jesus had something crucial to say about the hearing of the word of God in Mark 4, what we've had read to us this morning, what is often called the parable of the sower. Well, it's really about different types of soil. The seed is the word of God and the sower, anyone who disseminates that word... The point of the story is that the sower, sowing the same seed, obtains different results from different soils. And whenever God's word is communicated, the results depend on the fertility of the hearer's heart and mind. And of course, Jesus, in this passage, we're just beginning this whole section of a series of parables. So what are parables? Parables. Well, parables were common with religious people and travelling teachers of Jesus' time. It was a type of instruction that uh, specifically designated to sift out the wheat from the chaff amongst the hearers, to test not the intelligence of the hearer, but to the spiritual responsiveness of them. It led to spiritual arithmetical progression to him who has more more will be given, Matthew 25, verse 29. So the insight into the meaning of one parable will lead to the spiritual perception of the meaning of other parables. We either see or we don't see. And to see is the proof that we have received the illumination from the Holy Spirit, who alone can open our spiritual eyes. As one commentator says, one aim of using this method of teaching is to encourage serious, persistent, perceptive faith. So let's understand the basic principle that parables were spoken by Jesus to test ourselves rather than judging others. And we should try and find a spiritual... And we shouldn't try and find a spiritual meaning in every little detail but rather look for the general message being portrayed. So here we have a parable then. What's the question that this parable poses for us? How is What is the question? Well, the question is surely this. How do we respond to God's word as spoken by Jesus? And why is it that people's responses to God's word is, is different? Why do so few people believe? Well, let's put it into some sort of context of these first three chapters of Mark's Gospel. In these first three chapters, we see that Jesus has been out and about. He's called his disciples. He's delivered people from evil spirits. He's cleansed and healed people from diseases. He's proclaimed that he is Lord, even of the Jewish traditions and laws. And he is Lord of the Sabbath. And so, however we perceive this, this must have been an exciting event for the crowds to watch. Imagine people having spirit, dark spirits being cast from them. And Jesus is proclaiming through his teaching and actions what the kingdom of God is like here and now on earth. And yet, people still don't believe. People still refuse to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, especially those religious leaders. They still refuse to believe that the kingdom is found here on earth. And so Jesus teaches the crowds and disciples via parables. Look what it says in verse 2. He taught them many things, but the Apostle Mark chooses to give us this parable concerning what it's like to be a part of this kingdom, to be a person who responds to God's word and how the response to God's word will vary. And so we see in this teaching the reality concerning the human heart. Not all the soil is the same. Some is rich and fertile and deep, some shallow, others containing rocks and stones, thorns and weeds. So the condition of the receptivity of the soil, mind and heart, is not an even playing field. However, All have the same opportunities, the same exposure to the seed, the sun and the rain, which aids growth. That's the message concerning these hearts of mankind. Not all will respond in the same way. If we can have the uh, first slide, please. So what about the receptivity of our hearts and minds to God's Word. Well, we see four things here, don't we, in this parable. Firstly, we see that, that some don't receive the message of Jesus at all. Satan takes it away. Secondly, some receive it with joy, but the plant only lives a short time because it was scorched and had no roots to take in water. Thirdly, some receive it and grow, but the troubles come and they have no roots. Some are choked by worry, wealth, and desires that lead them away from discipleship. And fourthly, some hear the word, they accept it and produce a crop. They produce the fruit of what God has for them. Whoops, lost it. Um, I believe that we can apply this teaching of, uh, of Jesus in two ways. The firstly is we can apply it to the way uh, that this is seen in our outreach to others who don't know Jesus. And then secondly, we can apply the message to our own discipleship and relationship with God. So firstly then, our first application. What about our witness to the outside world? Well, in this passage, we see the reality of the devil. Look at verse 15. Jesus says that as soon as some people hear God's word, Satan comes and takes it away. Jesus proclaims the reality and presence of the evil one. And so should should be to us as well that Satan is capable of removing the seed from all our hearts and minds. Now, we, we live in an age and a land, including some of the church, where there are people who would want to deny the very presence of the evil one. Well, beware. The devil is an actual being and works in the world today through spiritual forces and cultural activities. To understand why some folk won't respond to the gift of salvation, we need to acknowledge the presence and power of the evil one, but remembering that Jesus defeated his power on the cross. If we're trying to share the gospel with friends and colleagues and families, let us recognise that we're in a spiritual war, uh, warfare. And we battle against principalities and powers, says Paul. And this battle can only be fought through the power of the Holy Spirit, through prayer and applying God's word to the situation. So let's be forewarned that this is what we're up to and this is what we're against. And that prayer and the Holy Spirit is needed for victory. And so, as we seek to spread the message of Jesus and his kingdom to our friends and family, that is why we need prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is why, when we study the history of revivals, we see that though revivals are all different, the common denominator is prayer and unity the meeting of Jesus' followers united together in prayer and fasting for long periods of time, because the fight is against the evil one. Now, I don't know what you think about Norwich, but I believe that Norwich is a hard battlefield. According to the last census, Norwich holds for the prestigious award of being the least religious city in the UK, whatever that means. Well, at present, there is prayer going on for the souls of people in Norwich. Prayer is being said in cities, in countries, a long way from us. Prayer is being organised by groups within the city through the Transforming City Organisation. And I would urge us to join with other Christians across the city in prayer that the word of God may come to dwell in the hearts of Norwich people, that they might become servants of the living God and transform the society in which we live. We can pray against the power of the evil one. But we can also pray and work practically to remove some of those stones and thorns we read of in verses 16 and 18. Those anxieties and worries that people have that may well take people away from God's promises and life. Think what happened when we we participated in that Who Cares survey the concerns that came out from people from that survey. And we can be involved in practical actions of helping those in debt, those who have housing needs, those who have come to a foreign land to work and live. I think of the work of Christians Against Poverty, the Salvation Army, English Plus, just to name a few. And if we can't help in a practical way, then financial support and prayer backing can always be ways that we can join in Enabling the gospel to be proclaimed in our city. So, returning to the parable, we read that Jesus states there will be different responses to the gospel. So, this shouldn't come as any surprise as we seek to witness to the love of Christ to the outside world. But what about the second challenge to us? The challenge of a personal nature. Well, Jesus says in verse 9, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So a question for all of us this morning, are we as individuals, am I, as I stand here, continuing to listen to God? Are we hearing, or do we think that we only have to listen just once when we first became disciples of Jesus? Because the soil and its condition refers to our hearts, our minds, and our souls. Our minds are really important. What we think determines what we do. Wherever we are on the road to discipleship, it's always good to reflect, where am I? Am I any closer to Jesus? Am I growing in likeness to Jesus? Am I seeking the face of God? Am I bearing fruit? Was I a real keen follower of Jesus five years ago? Have I grown in my spiritual walk since then? Am I bearing fruit of the kingdom? Well, Jesus points us in this parable to some reasons why things may not be going quite as we hoped. Look at verse 17. Do we have roots that are deep within the soil? So can I suggest this morning that we carry out a spiritual M.O.T. on our own lives. This is up to you, you don't have to do this, but uh, here are some questions that I would like to ask myself and you might want to include yourself in them. So I ask myself, how much time do I give to studying God's word alone each day? And how much does this compare to the time I spend on other activities? watching TV or playing computer games, to name just two. You name your activities. How much time do I set apart from others and meet with God in prayer? Have I recently been reading books that help my spiritual growth? Have I gone to other places to hear men and women of God speak of God's working here on earth today, which encourages my faith? Is the soil of my heart deeply enriched? Is our hearts deeply enriched? Is our faith growing? Because without faith, we cannot please God. Well, only you can answer those questions for yourself. Then look at verse 19. What about worries and troubles, which can have a devastating effect upon our faith and trust in Jesus? Now, I realize that for some of us, we are more prone to worry than others. It's in our nature. I'm a natural worrier, as Elizabeth will tell you. But I can suggest that one of the great antidotes for this are the promises of God found in the Bible. God's promises given in the Bible are often for our edification, building up our faith. So, can I encourage us all to mark, read, and store God's promises? Learn them by heart so that you can quote them when trouble comes. But note what Jesus says here in verse 17. When trouble comes because of the word, this means because of Jesus, John 1, verses 1 to 3, Jesus is the word. So it's not our worries and troubles because we can't have everything we want, we don't get that promotion. No, it's trouble that comes because of our witness to the word, our discipleship, and following of Christ. And what about verse 19? The deceitfulness of wealth and desires for many things that take the place of Jesus in our hearts and minds. Well, Jesus says these things can have the effect of choking the word and making it unfruitful. So what's blocking the word in our lives? I was reading an article Tuesday on Tuesday, May the 24th, that was written in the EDP titled, It's All Noise and It's Filling Our Minds Faster Than We Realise. Now this article was stating that we as a society are filling up our minds with electronic noise from telephones, computers, tablets and other gadgets faster than our brains can cope with. The writer questioned how much useful interesting life enhancing information is actually being absorbed by our brains. Now of course that wasn't a christian message but i wondered how much is this blocking our spiritual life are we training ourselves to listen to the quiet voice of the spirit of god how much time do we spend on these media formats comparing to reading and listening to God's Word. Natalie has recently challenged us to fast on the first Wednesday of each month until September to listen to what God is saying to us individually and as a congregation. And fasting, of course, doesn't have to be from food. It can be from anything that takes us away from God, like electronic devices. So... Deceitfulness of wealth and desires of many things. Verse 19 goes on to say this about the deceitfulness of wealth. Well, we live, don't we, in a materialistic age that wants us to worship wealth and belongings. Buying goods, gaining wealth, drives our society. Look at the media, the newspapers. Who are honoured within those pages? Those that are wealthy in material goods. So what are the pressures on us all? that we must spend more to gain happiness and fulfilness in our society. Well, Jesus' message is the complete opposite. Jesus states that wealth deceives us. So let's encourage one another and our young people to seek the kingdom of God first, to seek to follow Jesus before seeking wealth. As one speaker said, what is it that we worship? Because we all worship something. If God is not at the centre of our worship, then something else will be. Wealth and the desire for wealth deceives and blocks our growing in faith and pleasing God. So these, then, are the things that I found out that uh, Jesus was saying to us may well block our growing in faith, our walk with Jesus and fruit production. But let's turn to the positive, the alternative to these raised by these verses. Look in verse 20. Jesus states, others like seed sown on good soil hear the word, accept it and produce a crop 30, 60 or even 100 times what was sown. Now see what Jesus is saying here. See how this person hears the word of God, meets and engages with the word, that is the person Jesus and his words as recorded in the gospel. But hearing isn't placid. Or neutral, He states that the person doesn't just hear the word, rather they actually do the word, which leads to action. So firstly, they have to accept the word. That means that we have to take it fully on board. All that Jesus states, even if this is very demanding and opposite to our cultural norms. So to take his teaching and actually agree with it in our minds, and our wills, because what is in our minds will determine what we do. It mustn't stay there. No, the product of his statements must lead to actions of some kind, because these actions will lead to a crop of righteousness. Now, we mustn't get hung up on figures, because the figures indicate here that the amount of the crop can vary. So we shouldn't get bogged down by the amount because we're all given different spiritual gifts, skills and opportunities. And we shouldn't compare ourselves one with another. That's not what it's all all about. The important point is that there is some crop. And this isn't a one-off piece of teaching by Jesus. We see that in other places in the New Testament. John 15 verse 16 says this, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. Jesus chooses people and gives his Holy Spirit to enable our hearts to be good ground and to produce fruit. Think also of the other parable of Jesus when he talked about the servants being given different amounts of goods by the boss who then left, but coming back later expected that they would have used their resources to produce more while he was away. And he castigated the man who just hid his good in the bank, so to speak, under the soil and didn't actually use it. And so the important question for us is, are we producing a crop? Are we using the spiritual gifts God has given us to progress the kingdom, Of course, it's amazing, isn't it, that God trusts his followers to do that. That God trusts and expects his people to worship him and lead others into his kingdom through the power of the Holy Spirit. So how fruitful are our lives? That's the challenge. Will I be able to face Jesus when he returns? Will I be able to say, yes, I have used the gifts you have provided for me. Yes, I have brought in crops to your kingdom, not through my ability or my effort, but through faith, allowing your Holy Spirit to work through me so that your kingdom may be extended here on earth. So we can be encouraged then this morning. We can be encouraged that God has provided a way for crops to be produced in our lives. His Holy Spirit wants us to work through us, changing us to become more like Jesus if we're willing to give Jesus the preeminent place in our hearts, minds and and wills. So there we have it. Which of those are we? Are we hard ground, stony ground, thorny ground, or good ground? Neither this parable that we read of in verses 1 to 8, nor its explanation in 13 to 20, explains why so few people respond to Jesus' teaching. But it does identify the source of the problem, human hardness of heart, Shallowness and self indulgence, and we need for f- to have faith in Jesus. So let's pray that the Holy Spirit will help us to draw ever closer to Jesus, and be working, and he, that His Holy Spirit will be working through our lives so that crops and fruit may be the results. Amen.